Roger and I kept sitting over there waiting for Howard to bring us one. Howard's not even paying attention to us now. So, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 is where we are this morning. Hope you all did enjoy the snow this week. It's the snow that most people like. It came and went. Uh, so, but I'll let you know that every night since it snowed, Scarlett prays for another one. So, watch out. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word and for the opportunity to feast upon your word today. And Lord, we pray that it would be a delectable feast. That Lord, you would make it so very delicious to us. That Lord, we would seek to live it out that we may continue to feast upon it. Father, bless me with the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. When we enter our text this morning, Paul is addressing various problems that the Corinthian church is facing. And one of those problems are the divisions that are manifesting themselves in the church when the church came together to observe the table of the Lord. Notice with me verses 17 through 22. But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place when you come together as a church I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now, as the Corinthians practiced the meal, everyone brought part of the meal with them they each brought some of the meal and therein is where the first problem arises I believe because it seems based off of what Paul is saying that they could they thought that because they brought it that it was theirs and they could do whatever they wanted to do with it so this group brought what they wanted that group brought what they wanted And the division arose, it appears, because they didn't cross-pollinate. They didn't say, well, I brought mine, you brought yours, let's all sit down and eat together. They said, no, I brought mine, you can eat yours over there. I don't want yours, and I definitely don't want you to be part of mine. Beloved, that is not the church. But that is the church as the Corinthians are practicing it. It would also appear from the text that some of the Corinthians are being greedy and selfish and gorging themselves without concern for others. 
This is particularly troublesome as we remember that the Corinthian church is one that spans the economic spectrum. And so there is a sizable contingent amongst them of slaves and poor people for whom this meal that they have when they gather together each week is the very best, the most nutritious, the most flavorful, the most gratifying meal they have in the course of their week. And as the scripture says, there are some who come and have nothing because it's all been digested before they got there. The greed of others is leaving them scraps and dregs. Paul will say later in verse 33 of this chapter, because of this, that everyone should wait until all are there before they partake of table. Beloved, let us remember a few things this morning. Let us remember that it is the table of the Lord and not ours. And so it is not to us who determines who sits with us at table. It is the Lord who has called them into his body. And we cannot be making qualifications upon them. We should also remember that to forget the less fortunate at the table is to forget the selfless act that the table commemorates. The selfless sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary. It was that selfless act that affords us this morning's focus on what Grove Park is. Grove Park is a buffet, a bountiful buffet, an all-you-can-eat buffet. Let me put it even a little bit step further. We are a buffet that doesn't charge by the pound. We say bring all the plates you can and eat. How are we a buffet, you ask? Look with me at verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now let us remember this morning, beloved, what we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. That we are the body of Christ. We are the physical manifestation of Christ here on earth. And in being so, we must act accordingly. It is not sufficient for us this morning, beloved, to simply say we are the body, to seem to be the body of Christ, but to actually act and be the body of Christ to the world. We must provide to the world the same buffet that Jesus set before the apostles as they gathered in the upper room for that final Passover meal 
so long ago. What's on this buffet then, you ask? Well, it would seem to me that the servings are found in the very elements that Jesus describes for his supper. My body given for you. What is that body? What does that body represent? First, it is a wonderful helping of exquisite empathy. You and I confuse empathy and sympathy oftentimes. Sympathy is a shared feeling, usually of sorrow, pity, or compassion for another person. A lot of you are sympathizing with us Carolina fans this year. But empathy, empathy on the other hand is stronger than sympathy. It is the ability to put yourself in the place of another and understand someone else's feelings by identifying with them. With empathy, you put yourself in another's shoes, often feeling things more deeply than if you just felt sympathy. So some of you remember that your team is bad as well. And so you empathize. Beloved, Jesus was not an apparition. Jesus was not an apparition that walked this earth. But he took on flesh, we believe. We celebrate that in the incarnation at Christmas And he dwelt among us. Jesus knows sorrow. He knows pain. He knows temptation. And because of this, he knows how to aid us. Because he empathizes with us in our times of greatest need. Jesus offers exquisite empathy. Secondly, he serves scrumptious strength. Let us remember that the mar- and marveled at how fast Jesus died on the cross. But why wouldn't he die so fast? He was weighed down by the weight of the world's sins. Literally, the world's sins were pushing him down. But he never tapped out, did he? He didn't say enough when they beat him. He didn't say enough When after pouring his life into the disciples for three years, they could not stay awake with him one hour and pray in the garden. Oh yes, he powered through all of this with such strength because he understood that at the end was redemption for me and for you. Beloved, now is the time to feast on that same strength for each of us. And to offer that strength because at the end is the redemption of our community, our family, our friends. We must be that strength. But let us not be negligible of the fact that there is also offered by Jesus when he offers his body succulent solace. We live in a wounded world, a world that is full of of sorrow and pain and just as Isaiah tells us when he describes Jesus as the suffering servant he was well acquainted with grief and yet Jesus was also always able then to offer solace to the hurting 
and grieving of this world time and time again. And so too must we be a reservoir of solace to a hurting and grieving world. Too often the church has been a source of hurt and pain for people. But we are called to be the place where the hurting come to be treated. Where the wounded come and find a balm for their weary wounds. For such is the body of Christ. But Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus didn't stop there. He said, here is my blood which is shed for many. How on earth do we do that? How can we offer that? Well, let us remember what that blood poured out represents. It represents a heaping helping of flavorful forgiveness. The the blood of Jesus was poured out for every sin in the world. Every sin that has been committed. Every sin that will be committed. Every sin that you and I have left unspoken of to him about. It heals the sin-sick soul. It does not number sin as you and I often do. It does not quantify sin or qualify sin. It says that all sin causes separation from the Father. And so all forgiveness is offered freely. So too must we. So too must we be always willing to offer forgiveness to the world. And to tell them that they can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It means copious portions of captivating compassion. I never read the passage in I never read the passage in Matthew where Jesus looks out at the crowds and has compassion on them and commands the disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the white harvest fields without remembering that it always starts with looking at the world with compassion. Beloved, are we captivated by the compassion of God that has been shown to us as He saved us from our sins in such a manner that we run into the harvest fields that surrounds us so that others are captivated by that same compassion? Compassion that says you aren't forgotten. Compassion that picks up a person, helps to dust them off, and helps them move forward with God. Compassion that doesn't say to ourselves, what will it cost me? But as Dr. Martin Luther King said when talking about the Good Samaritan, What will it cost him if I do not stop and help them? Compassion. Beloved, as we gorge ourselves on copious portions of captivating compassion, we do so remembering that there's another dish yet to be discovered. A dish that is an endless supply of gratifying grace. 
grace, the unmerited favor of God. Grace that pardons, grace that frees, grace that quickens despondent hearts and turns them toward a passionate Savior. Grace that some have described as amazing. Grace that others have described as marvelous. Grace that everyone understands is sufficient. Grace that turned a slave trader into a preacher. And grace that turns each of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ from a vile sinner damned to hell to a saved saint bound for heaven. Oh, beloved, there is an endless supply of gratifying grace. Do we offer it? Do we offer it? It's an amazing buffet that the Lord laid out, isn't it? It's an amazing buffet that He calls us to be. But I would be remiss if I didn't just for a moment mention what is it that binds it all together. What is the common theme of this buffet? You know, you go to some buffets and they're good country buffets. They got fat back and chitlins on them. You don't find the same thing on Chinese buffets, right? You don't find the same thing on Thai buffets. What is it that binds this amazing buffet together? Is its lavished love. John will later tell us. Behold what love the father has lavished upon us. That we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Love that sends Jesus to the cross. Love that causes each of us. Once experienced in love. To go outside of the norms of life. To offer that gratifying grace and flavorful forgiveness. That exquisite empathy and captifying compassion. That scrumptious strength and that succulent solace. Oh, truly the world needs love. And it is incumbent upon the body of Christ to share it and show it just as Jesus did to the whole world. For truly He is, and truly we must be, an all-you-can-eat buffet. And so we remember that. We remember that as we come to table, that for us He offered up this buffet. We remember it as He told us to. And I want to remind you as we come to table something that I have told you before. We want you to treat it like a buffet. We offer bread. Not those stale little wafers. Because this buffet is never meant to be understood as minimal. But as sufficient and satisfying. And fulfilling because it brings to us an understanding and a reminder that we serve the bread of life. 
And who doesn't like some fresh baked, baked bread? We encourage you to take two cups. Two cups. And if you won't, take three. You have those little holes in front of you on your pew to not just put your fingers in when you get bored with the sermon or to put your bulletin in. But put some down there. Why? Because it represents for us the endless supply of grace and forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. And we need to celebrate that. Because in celebrating it, beloved, we understand how great the gift of grace is to each of us. And how so many others who are outside of these walls right now desperately need to know it themselves. And that it is incumbent upon us to go tell them. And today, beloved, I ask you to do one other thing. And for this, I want to remind you that your preacher's crazy. And every now and then, he asks you to indulge in his craziness just a bit. We are one body, right? We are one family, right? We are one buffet, right? And yet, you all are scattered everywhere. I don't mean in your individual homes. I mean you are scattered everywhere across. I get a neck workout every Sunday looking like a tennis match. And that doesn't bother me. But this Sunday morning, I, I, would, I would ask that you indulge me. Today, we would ask that during the invitation, you move. You move to this center section right here. As we join together to the Lord's table. There will be deacons to help you move if you need assistance. Just wave at them. And they won't wave back. They'll come to you and help you. If you're in the sound room, we, we'd ask that you just leave uh, Roger's mic on and my mic on and, and come down. If you have a child in the nursery, we'd ask that you would go and get that child and bring them in. And you're saying, preacher, it's going to be tight. Well, at my family, and it's not just because we're all fat. At my family, when we come together for a family meal, we all pile around the same table, and it's awful tight there too. And I suspect it's the same at your tables as well. And so if we can do it for Christmas, we can do it this morning. Because, beloved, this morning we want to provide 
a physical manifestation of oneness and wholesomeness. The choir's going to come down. Have no fear. Because in doing this, in bringing together this physical manifestation of oneness and wholeness, it reminds us of who we are to be to the world, the body of Christ. And it shows us that we're not nearly as small and weak as we think we are. But because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God, we are powerful. If God can make two five loaves and two fishes turn into an all-you-can-eat fish fry, imagine what he can do with the Grove Park all-you-can-eat buffet. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give the invitation. And if you need to see me for the invitation, if you, if you want to come join the buffet known as All You Can Eat Grove Park, come see me. If you, if you have never entered into the body of Christ through relationship with Jesus Christ and you don't want, know what grace is, but you want to taste it today, come see me. If you've got some other need, come see me. But as the choir sings, we're going to ask you to move. All right? So all of you in the center section, you're going to move too. Where are you going to move? In. All right? We're asking you to be one body today. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful that we are an all-you-can-eat buffet.